0: Hello, Marvelites. You are listening to Marvel's The Pollist. I'm Ryan. And I'm Tucker. And, you know, we're just going to talk about some comics. You yeah. know, no
1: big deal. Oh. I mean, that's a big freaking deal. It's Tucker. a huge deal this week. My gosh. Cannot believe it. How dare you? It's books for August 8th. That is 8, uh, eight, uh, 8, 8, 8, 1 8. You just broke. That's 8, 8, 1 8. You threw extra 8s in
0: there. That's not a.
1: No, 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 yeah. It's
0: 8 No, it's a, 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 uh, eight. like 2018. There's blood trickling out of your nose right now. It oh doesn't God. make any
1: sense. <laughs> Are you okay? Do but, you but, need help? But but what but what is 8 divided by 2, my man? 4 Yeah. Because Fantastic <laughs> yes, Four right. is out this week. Yes, right.
0: Okay, great. Uh I do want to say one thing before we dive into the issues this week is most of i think believe all the books have the th- like three or four pages of tribute to Steve Ditko at the beginning of each book and i think if you don't know anything about Steve Ditko this is a great little like introduction saying you know who he was why his work is so important to the marvel universe so hopefully you do not skim past it it is really great stuff All right. With that said, let's dive into the books with our first being Amazing Spider-Man number three. It's written by Nick Spencer. Art by Ryan Otley with Cliff Rathburn and Laura Martin on the colors with Joe Caramagna on the letters. Okay, One of the first things that I noticed about this book is they're talking. They're actually bowling. You have Mary Jane and Peter and, and their friends. They're bowling. But one of the things I loved is Mary Jane saying she's a fan of the film Kingpin. Yeah, which is a delightful yeah. movie.
1: Yeah, yeah, it really is. I I really love that that little sequence because we kind of jump between three scenes right at the start. And for me, that's just like the epitome of Amazing Spider-Man, this epitome of Peter Parker and to a degree Marvel Comics as a whole because it's just like going from this really fun, delightfully like dialogued – that's a verb – scene of just like friends bowling and then we go turn the page and it's a giant Tri-Sentinel attacking the city. So Tri-Sentinel,
0: I'm so excited. I love that Nick and Ryan and the team bring the Tri-Sentinel into this run because, one, remember – how I've said Ryan Otley's art reminds me of Eric Larson in some ways. Mm -hmm. Well, Eric Larson first drew the Tri-Sentinel. He was the first artist to draw that monstrosity. It was way back in Amazing Spider-Man number 329. And it was like, Three prototype Sentinels, they were merged together by Loki, and then Spidey was able to beat it because he had Captain Universe's powers. Mm -hmm. So that was really cool. Two, I just love the meta-commentary that's going on here in Spidey's banter about nostalgia because it's very clear that this team is pulling from nostalgia, but it's not just redoing stories. It's remixing, it's like redirecting and finding new paths and ideas and opportunities to tell stories Mm -hmm. with this like nostalgic lens that they can put all that stuff through. It's really mixing it around in really cool ways. There's this line about when Pete's gone through major changes before, uh, and he said, this is now a different vibe and a different story. Like he's had six arms at one point. He's mm-hmm. been cloned. He's been, he's died and then Doc Ock took over his body, like all mm-hmm. these different things. So, he's gone through crazy changes, which he's going through in this arc right now, but it's a different vibe, a yeah. different story, yeah. and it's a dang fun book.
1: Yeah, yeah. I really loved a little artistic choice by Ryan Otley and the team here because I believe it's the first time you see Spider Man in this comic, uh, maybe five pages in, after the Tri-Sentinel is there and Spidey swings in. You don't get like the classic. Front view Spider-Man crashing through the panels into, you know, swinging into the action. You actually get a reverse angle. You see him from behind going towards the action. And it's just a little thing that you don't really see very often. But it's just – I just really appreciated the – that kind of thoughtful little – the little twist. And it made it just – it's just little details that are throughout that just make it so much fun to read. Indeed. Next up is Amazing Spider-Man Renew Your Vows – Number 22, this is written by Jody Hauser with art by Scott Koblish, colors by Ruth Redman, and letters by Joe Caramagna. This is a really, really fun issue because I feel like since the leap forward in time in Renew Your Vows, since we went eight years into the future, now we see anime as a teen, kind of classic early intro to Peter Parker age. High school, we're dealing with all of that. And since that jump in time, I feel like the Renew Your Vows series has been about introducing those characters in uh, the space they're in now. It's about establishing that dynamic, but also kind of keeping them on their feet or on their toes uh, by mixing them up. We saw Pete and MJ go on vacation. We've seen a bunch of different things. This issue felt like it's one of the real, not first times, but it feels like a really finally things are solidified where... They're working as a team. They're working as a family. They're working against a common enemy. And we get to see them in full force. Uh, altogether, we're continuing a story arc uh, that was established with some really cool villains. And I just loved seeing Annie Mae being just authentically a teenager while still nonetheless working so wonderfully with her parents. It, it works while never losing the sight of, like, the human element of it where, like, they're great superheroes together and they fight really well together. But – you know, they're also parents and a kid. Yeah. I mean, Jodie
0: does such a good job at, like, portraying this family as a real family. Yeah. Those moments where Annie is so embarrassed by her parents, particularly Peter. Like, there's a the one moment in there where Peter's talking to Annie about dating Normie Osborne. Mm-hmm. And she's just like, you could feel her, like, shivers down yeah. her spine of, yeah. like, please stop talking to me, Dad. Oh, my gosh. Uh, th- this is terrible. I also just, there's this one scene near the beginning where the spider family swings off together. And so good. Scott is, he's one of my favorite artists, yeah. just so much energy in his work. And then Ruth Redman's colors. I, I wanted to point those out because there's the lab scene and the hues that she uses there, like the greens and the pinks and the reds just stood out so much for me. I was like, ah, oh, that's a cool looking lab. You know, it's not necessarily what you automatically think of. And it worked so well. Mm-hmm. It stood out. Next book on the list is Champions number twenty three, titled "An Adventure into
1: Fear." I loved this. I'm issue. glad. Yeah,
0: uh, this is written by Jim Zub, art by Kevin Lebrandon and Francesco Mana, with colors by Marcio Menes, and letters and production by Clayton Cowles. Here's my phrase for the book: You can't keep man thing caged. <laughs> he wants to be free, unleashed, <laughs> engorged with people's emotions. Looking forward to seeing how the events of Champions and and what is going on here with Viv and all of this stuff, what's going on with her and the, her dad mm-hmm. too, how that connects with the upcoming Vision series.
1: Yeah, completely. I Reading this issue, which was nearly one of my picks of the week, I mean, I loved it a ton. I think Jim Zub is just, he's started off sprinting with this series and I'm, I'm loving every issue. But for me, it was, this is a, a really kind of textbook lesson in, One of the main ingredients in just an epic feeling in a book doesn't necessarily strictly just come from huge action and crazy fights and villains and things like that. Sure, that is absolutely an element and we definitely get that in this issue. But I think achieving that feeling is you find the seeds of that in intimacy and that is found with Viv's story in this issue and in this series as a whole. I mean, she, I've said it before, she really feels like the heart and soul of this team. And because we have these really intimate moments with her, looking inside her mind, seeing how she thinks of herself in a lot of ways, and just getting to know her on, on such a deep level, when the action does come, it feels even bigger. It feels the stakes are even higher. And I love the, the balancing act that goes on between those two elements in this story. Next up Mm. is my pick of the week. This is Daredevil number 606. It's written by Charles Soule with art by the incredible Phil Noto. Glory be to he. Oh, man. He is unreal with letters by Clayton Cowles. I want to give a special shout out to the cover of this issue. So good Uh, by Phil Noto as well. And it really captures kind of the statement for me that this issue makes because this issue really felt like a cool examination of some sort of cross-section between the responsibility of being a civilian, the nature of community in a city, and living in the modern day, living in 2018, and the intersection of technology and responsibility and all these things put together. This is a really, really fun Daredevil story A really fun superhero story, but layered into that, Matt Murdock makes a really great speech at a certain point where he's speaking essentially to the people of New York and saying, like, essentially making a statement that he is going to do a superhero business. He's going to come in and save the day when he needs to. But the responsibility is everyone's. And I really, really loved that sentiment throughout. I just... Also, like I said, I just love Phil Noto's art. I mean, I think he, He's should, he is incredible. What he does with this character I think is so, so special. I You know, he is one of my favorite artists and, and certainly one of my favorite Daredevil artists. This story also, I want to say, has some nail gun action. Whoa! I love...
0: This was so fun. So cool. Hammerhead giving his goons nail guns. <laughs> yeah. And then has one of my favorite lines of the week where Hammerhead says, I'm the hammer and this city's the nail. Yeah. I loved it. It was so good. Yeah. It worked
1: so perfectly. I, I loved it. I, it's just a little tiny note that, that makes it so special. There's also some great bar with no name stuff here and yeah. some really fun, awesome action. It was another little gentle reminder that like when Charles Soul wants to do comedy, he can crush it. And there's some really interesting stuff to come.
0: Yeah, there's um, – I like that Charles brings in characters that he did in in Humans and then characters from his most recent Hunt for Wolverine story. He has all these little things. Mm -hmm. Uh, They're, like, coming together with this kingpin-busting task force (laughs) that I really dig. But there's – you when we're talking about Phil and talking about his amazing work, there's this one scene where, you know, you see through cell phones of of what's Mm -hmm. going on, different – looks at the action and it's focused really that page is on like three colors it's red purple green and you have the reaction on on character's face it's just such a killer moment it all comes together and it's simple but when you when you sort of dissect it and look at how thoughtful it is Mm -hmm. it's great comic
1: books totally next up we have domino number five which is jamie's pick of the week it's written by the glorious gail simone with Art by a guest artist is Michael Shelfer, layouts by David Baldeon, colors by Jesus Abertov, and letters by Clayton Cowles. Man, I never want Domino, the Domino Shang-Chi team up, the master student dynamic. This it's a really, really interesting relationship that Gail is building here. I love it so much. Never want it to end. It's so good. I feel like she has such a command, obviously, of Domino and and of her motivations, her past, how that affects her present, but also Shang-Chi in a really great way. She makes him so much fun while also being very clearly, you know, the master of martial arts. He is so precisely deadly, so good. There's a little line in here that I thought was so funny. Shang-Chi and Domino are essentially surrounded by baddies. And Shang-Chi says... Be especially conscious of the man with the fedora, which I feel like is just kind of applicable across, you know, but, in so comics or not.
0: The follow-up to that line, though, is really nails it because she says something to the effect of "That's true in, in yes, life, yes, you know, overall." Yeah. She basically says what you said is yeah. like, "Yeah, you always have to watch out for the guys yeah. with fedoras." Yeah, yeah, that's so funny. Yeah, I love Domino's captions, like you're saying, Gail. Oh, come on. They're so. Funny and pithy and unapologetic and frenetic and it just keeps the book so quirky and like there's such a personality that is very distinct from every other book. I think it's, it's wonderful and I like that we have a different artist here, uh, Michael Shelfer, over David's layouts. It, it keeps the books, you know, look intact. But it provides its own identity. It's a little bit more cartoony, but like very bombastically super. And kind of a little bit of Joe Maderera art in some of the flourishes in there. I thought that was really cool. The Shang-Chi stuff, tremendous. That when we finally see him getting physical against the supervillains, it's so terrific. And Dom has the same reaction the reader does. It's like, oh, He's the real deal.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Like even when they were training and kind of like sparring before, it's very clear that even that was nothing compared to what we really see. It's it's a really cool little kind of little chills moment where it's like, oh yeah, you, you can't forget how good he is.
0: Yeah. All right. Next book up is Exiles Number Six. Uh this one, I love it, I love it. It's by Saladin Ahmed. Guest artist is Rod Reese. Letters by Joe Caramagna. And so Rod is similar to a Phil Noto or some of our other artists in that they, they tackle the whole thing mm-hmm. themselves. Yeah. And it's so good. I really want to spoil the last page of this issue because it's a phrase I never th- like thought of. But one I'm very much excited about. Anyway, we'll talk about it. I'm sure next issue. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is this is a very classic Exiles bridge issue. In the you know the first series, you know you would have downtime that would let us get to know the characters more. It gives them more personality, some fun moments, some sad moments, like a hint at their next mission, and then boom, they're off to a new reality. I very much appreciated that here. I think that trope works very well for Exiles. But here they go to a Wild West reality, and it's. So fun seeing Rod to guest on this and put his stamp on the Wild West portions. Uh, He's got this sort of realistic yet like exaggerated painterly Mm -hmm. thing that he does, and it works really well in a Western town with like superpowers and popping colors. And also, the way he draws Wolvie, that's super cartoony. It's very different from the rest of the book. Mm -hmm. And again, we keep getting those little threads about the classic Exiles team, about you know, Blink wondering what's up with her friends and little hints so i'm excited for more of that you know what else i'm excited for oh boy my pick of the week which is fantastic for number one we did it guys we did it. it's here (laughs) finally oh man it's back there's a burst on the cover that says it's back
1: yeah
0: uh the world's greatest comic magazine has returned and it's not just one story that we get in this tremendous comic. We get three. The first story is called Signal in the Sky. It's written by Dan Slott with art by Sarah Pichelli and Elisabetta D'Amico with Marta Gracia on colors. There's a bit in here uh, that we'll get to in the third story, but the book's back mm-hmm. and the team's not quite back. Back. Right, we'll get to that. But th- the, we open up with you know some more stuff about the Thing and Human Torch, what's going on with them. There's a shot of the Thing with purring kittens crawling yep. all over him that immediately made this my book of the week. <laughs> Even <laughs> if the rest of it was just Dan Slott just wrote, I would still pick this as my book of the week solely for the Thing with kittens. Yeah,
1: Sarah's so. thing is. Incredible! I, I love the personality she gives him. He's huge, but he he's like he's soft in a way. Yeah, uh, it, it like just in his 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 facial expressions and his characterization, I love it so much.
0: And the eyes, like yeah. she does, she and with uh, Marte's colors really hit the soulful right. like man within the monster mm-hmm. eyes. That's mm-hmm. really important to mm-hmm. who Ben Grimm is and the way you think about him. and It goes in with what you're saying. If you have not been reading Marvel Two and One. May I suggest you pick up those issues as well? Because Chip Zdarsky and the uh, other creators on that have been doing a lot to get us ready for where we are Mm -hmm. in Fantastic Four number one. It's been focused on Johnny and Ben, and so it, it really paves the way for this new series. And it'll then work in tandem with Fantastic Four, sort of like FF did with Fantastic Four when Jonathan Hickman and Matt Fraction were writing those runs. But all that said... Dan Slott's love of Fantastic Four is readily apparent through all of this. His love and his attention to the little details, the things that you want to see in a Fantastic Four book, and just the things you didn't know you wanted to see. He includes the original Fantastic Four signal mm. in the book, which was funny. It was a like a flare, and everybody thinks of the big four that gets shot up. But the original said – Fantastic Four.
1: F-O-U-R.
0: Yeah, it like wrote it out. It's so good. So that is used in here in a really fun way. You've got kids from Yancey Street, Ben and Alicia Masters in love, Wyatt Wingfoot, who is sort of like Johnny's best friend. He was like mechanic and helped out uh, the FF for many, many years. There's a number of former Fantastic Four members who show up. And that's just in the main story. We also get a second story, which is about Doom. It's called Our Day of Doom and Victory. It's by Dan with Simone Bianchi. And then Simone and Marco do the colors. Here, it's really, it's just, Cool story of seeing Doom getting back to his place of power in Latveria, or at least getting on that road. And it's it's a very Doom story, yeah, which is
1: cool. I, yeah, I thought it was great, and it made me so excited for I don't know when, I don't know how, but sometime down the line when he marries these two uh, pieces back together, uh, it's going to be so
0: good. But well, that's the thing about Dan Slott, right? It's like he starts putting pieces in play oh, yeah. in, in his first issue that may not pay off – for who knows how yeah, long. With, yeah. You know, Amazing Spider-Man, he was paying off 10 years down the line. Yeah, yeah. It's so good. You know he's got a lot to come. But, yeah, his doom in here is a man of pride and power unparalleled. Plus, the final page, our third story is uh, called What the Pop. It is by Dan Slott and Scotty Young with colors by Jeremy Treese. And this one I have a big soft spot for because, one, it's very meta. So this is a way that the the team combats the immediate reaction of, wait a minute, the Fantastic Four doesn't get together in this issue? They don't. And this one page completely like says, okay, relax. We get it. We're telling a story here. It's very funny. It uses the impossible man and Mailman Willie Lumpkin, Impossible Man, very old character from Fantastic Four. Way back in issue number 11, he first showed up. He's like an alien shapeshifter and wacky trickster. Very fun, very silly character created by Stan Lee and Jack Kirby. So they use this in a really fun meta way. But there's a lot to happen in this book and what's coming in this series. I'm very excited. Lots of FF this week. All right, so you, you want to get your copy of Fantastic Four. Why don't you use your Marvel MasterCard? Did you know you could be earning cashback rewards for buying comic books thanks to our advertiser, Marvel MasterCard? Just use it. Go to marvelmastercard.com
1: slash list to sign up for your card. That's right, you'll earn 3% cashback rewards on comic books, movies, restaurants, and more with the Marvel MasterCard, and 1% cashback rewards on all other purchases. There's no limit on the cashback rewards you can earn, all with no annual fee. Enjoy special Marvel benefits like three months of Marvel Unlimited for free. That's three months of Marvel Unlimited. That is good stuff. And you can choose your superhero from one of six cool card designs, too, like Captain America's Shield, Black Panther, and Spider-Man, just to name a few. Yes.
0: Visit marvelmastercard.com slash list to learn more and apply today. marvelmastercard.com slash L-I-S-T.
1: Next up, we have Hunt for Wolverine, the Adamantium Agenda. This is the last one. This is issue number four. It's written by Tom Taylor, with pencils by R.B. Silva, inks by Adriana DiBenedetto, colors by Guru EFX, and letters by Joe Sabino. I've enjoyed each of these Hunt for Wolverine stories so much. I feel like they've been pulled off just incredibly well. They've all been so distinct and told really valuable, really interesting stories that each move the story along. The larger Hunt for Wolverine and and the return of Wolverine story uh, along in really, really interesting ways. Uh, this uh, but, hold on. I
0: think this is a re- there's a really important piece of canon that is established mm-hmm. in the dialogue in this issue. It is quote, "I like spreadsheets." End quote. <laughs> that is from Tony Stark. We now know Tony Stark is a fan of spreadsheets. Wow. I mean, we thought he
1: was just this cool private jet flying, you know, cool dude. Maybe he dabbled in spreadsheets, but no, no. he's an enthusiast. Yes, enthusiast. Uh, he loves it and. It's really interesting because this issue kind of is largely about Tony Stark. It's about his relationship with Logan in a really, really interesting way. I feel like this issue moves the Hunt for Wolverine storyline along uh, and it makes a couple of big jumps that really, really work. As with all of these stories, it balances the past with the present, looking back at how these different characters relate to Logan, how they you know, relate to him in a positive way, how they clash with him, uh, what they think of him in uh, all different manners. But this ends up being just a really affecting story. I love the mech suits that uh, the team get to suit up in it's just so cool seeing spider-man flying in a like spider-man kind of iron man suit but uh this wraps up the the bow on this adamantium agenda story but of course it opens a bunch of other doors moving forward as we go forward in uh the hunt for wolverine the larger story you know i'm a huge fan of tom taylor Uh, and I think more than anything, this, this is just so tonally specific and that carries across the dialogue. It carries across the art and the colors and, uh, it just ends up working so, so well. And there's a few other elements added to the pot moving forward.
0: Yeah. Like you, you touched on, there's a mystery that gets opened up at the end Mm -hmm. there that I'm I'm really sure and hopeful that we'll see in Hunt for Wolverine Dead Ends. But there's also this big X-23 bombshell that I feel like we knew as readers. Maybe we didn't, but I loved it so much. And as someone who's done so much work, Tom Taylor has on Laura and her story and her world. I was like, oh, this is such a that's such a cool nugget. And, And. piece of information about her. Uh, I love Arby Silva. Every time we had an issue with this, I wanted to talk about him because he impresses the hell out of me every time he has a new issue. He's, he's a pretty young artist, and so he's got, like, little bits of Stuart Eminent in his work, uh, especially in his figures and expressions, uh, some Scott Collins in his explosions and, like, nice detail, but all of it is his own flavor, especially when you look at his action and his panel structures. It's a very dynamic-looking book, and, and it's very much his own. I dug it. So much. So good. Also, so good this week is Old Man Logan, number 45. This is the third part of the Bullseye Returns arc, written by Ed Brisson, art by Juan Ferreira, and letters by Corey Petit. And, oh, my God. Juan, my first sentence in my notes is Juan Ferreira, friends, so damn good.
1: Never stop. I believe
0: like three pages into this. And I immediately typed up an email to Ricky Purden, who is our talent management. Uh, Lord. Yeah. (laughs) He's manager of talent relations for Marvel. And I was just like, what is Juan Ferreira doing next? And I will not get into any more of that. I would just say I happily read on with this book. Uh, But man, Juan's bullseye is so sinister. And... Just deranged. Yeah. It's so cool, and isn't like his Logan is gritty and beaten up, and everything in this book is kinetic, yet also at the same time very sweepingly cinematic. Uh, there's this one panel that stretches across two pages, where there's a character who's like been hit by the car and they're bouncing around and you see the like different frames and different like looks at the the action that's going on and it's oh man it's nuts it's so good (laughs) it just feels like you're watching uh one of those fast movies. They're very furious. Car, <laughs> car combat films. Yeah. Uh, and it's very exciting. I can't wait to see what's next for him. You guys are going to be excited as well. But there's also this great running joke that Ed has uh, written in this, this arc about Vendetta continuing to take off her helmet and expose her identity. And it's one of those little things that you, you've you got the gritty art, you've got the crazy stuff that's happening, but you also have the humor bits throughout. And it's it's really well done. Uh, it's also one of my favorite things is cementing Bullseye here as one of Old Man Logan's arch nemesis. You know, he mm-hmm. from a different time period, a lot of things are different. But he's now this feud with Bullseye where they're like very much at odds and it feels like a good foil for each other, and they can work really well against each other. Uh, it's very personal now. It's filled with all this anger and this blood, uh, and they've somehow done a great job of elevating Bullseye from a dude who was already awful and wonderful to, to see to now just, like, this villain you hate yeah, yeah. and you want to see get punched in the face.
1: I'm so impressed with Ed Brisson's work here. I feel like he's really kicked this series up to the next level with this this arc, and I can't wait to see see what happens next. But next, right now, is Quicksilver No Surrender. This is part four. It's written by Saladin Ahmed. We got a little Saladin double dip this week with art by Eric Wynn, colors by Rico Renzi, letters by Clayton Cowles. This, as we get further and further along with this story, as we move, you know, kind of analyze it deeper and deeper, it's I guess I should have expected it. Knowing Saladin Ahmed's previous work, knowing what an incredibly thoughtful writer and person he is, that we would discover the depths of this story, that it is not merely just a folly, That is that it contains really powerfully kind of allegorical meaning and uh, can be interpreted in a thousand different ways. But it's so, so interesting. As we've progressed with Quicksilver Trapped in this kind of super speed dimension that he's in, trying to get out, trying to get home, visited by Wanda and a couple others throughout who kind of are there for a moment. Then they fade away. He doesn't know how to how to get back to the real world. Hearing Pietro's thoughts and hearing and just witnessing Saladin's statements with this book, for me, it's turned into just a beautiful allegory and analysis of like anxiety, like the nature of patience and uh, being at one with yourself. It is so, so good in that way. And I feel like it has been a revelation in a certain sense because he is the perfect character to analyze those kind of things. He's the perfect character to look, uh, to, to utilize as a lens for, for analysis on being present because he's, always going at a 1,000 miles an hour because he never stops and because that is ultimately and has become his big problem in this story. So he needs to master himself in a way in order to escape the situation, and that's something that he's coming up against in many different forms, reminded by Wanda, up against you know foes of different kinds. It is really, really great, and I'm really, really enjoying this story. And like I said, it's solid in a med. Of course. Of course yeah. it is. Yeah.
0: All right. Next book, uh, one I'm sure many of you are excited about is Spider Man Annual Number One. And I'm very excited because we're getting new work from writer Brian Edward Hill with art by Nelson Blake II with Aletha Martinez and Mark Bagley. Roberto Poggi and Carlos Lopez with letters by Corey Petit. That's the first story. Uh, I want to give a little background on Brian Edward Hill if you don't know much about him. He's a screenwriter. He's worked on Ash versus the Evil Dead and a bunch more. He works on comics for other companies. But this is his, I believe, second book for Marvel. Uh, He's also got a What If X-Men story on the way. So we're going to be seeing him more. But we open up on this book with Miles fighting Morbius, the living vampire. Tucker, how much do you know about Morbius? Not a lot. Yeah, I'm excited because Morbius facts. One, wears (laughs) a Deep V shirt. Yep. Two, first appeared in Amazing Spider-Man number 101. 101 as a villain, but became less villainy over time.
1: Would that be like early 70s? Yeah. He feels like a '70s kind of guy. Oh oh,
0: yeah. Yeah. So that ties into I'm going to (laughs) stop counting because I don't know how many numbers I have here. Uh, There was a ban on supernatural characters for a very long time. You couldn't have, you know, your your spookies and all your you know your creepy crawly (laughs) night night characters for a while. But that was lifted in the early '70s. Uh, So that's when we get a lot of our horror characters. You get Morbius, Man Thing, Dracula, Werewolf by Night, Frankenstein's monster. They all became really important to Marvel in the 70s. It's interesting, though, because he is not a full vampire. He is the living vampire because he was a scientist who had this really rare genetic blood disease. And because he was a scientist, he went and scienced on himself. Mm-hmm. And he was like, I'm going to take this vampire bat and mess it with my DNA because that's a great idea. I'm a scientist. And of course, boom, he becomes vampireish. Wow. It's great. Anyway, uh, this is a very cool story giving some history and context, though, to Miles' beginnings as a hero. It's both set now, but it's also set in the past of really establishing like, oh, this is how the power and responsibility got into Miles' head, how trying and helping to save people is key. It's just a really neat look at the start of his career, and it sort of positions it into the thick of secret invasion. Again, another one of my favorite stories. I've referenced a bunch. Uh, The backup story here is all current story, uh, and it is written by... Emily Ryan Lerner with art by Alberto Albuquerque and colors by Carlos Lopez with Cora Petit on Letters. Emily has worked at our Distinguished Competition. She has done some self-published comics. But it's really just cool to see a new voice here at Marvel. I'm pretty sure this is her first Marvel story. It's a really great story about Ganke and Miles. They're in driver's education. There's shenanigans.
1: There's a bunch of gags. It's, it's just a fun story. It was really great to see... Like modern modern Miles again. Like I loved seeing young Miles in in the main story, but then you know, I've missed him. And it's yeah. it's it's great to have him back. So moving on to another Spidey story, we have Spider Man versus Deadpool number thirty seven. It's written by Robbie Thompson with pencils by Jim Toe, inks by Sean Parsons and Cam Smith, colors by Brian Reber, and letters by Joe Sabino. Tucker, the name of this issue is My Two Dads.
0: Are you familiar with the eighties television program My Two Dads? No. <laughs> Dang it! So it's an '80s sitcom about two dudes, including Paul Reiser, okay, who raised a girl together. Mm-hmm. Uh, they both knew her mom, you know what I mean, and either was her <laughs> dad. Okay. Uh, it introduced the world to Giovanni Ribisi. Okay, I'm sure you know Giovanni okay. Ribisi. Yep, uh, and. Get this, Tom Brevoort told me that Dan Slott's aunt played the judge on the show. Wow. She was one of the main, like, supporting characters.
1: Wow. like it's a Spidey that, connection.
0: That blew my mind. <laughs> and she also was, like, a main character on a 70s show. It's very wild. Also, fun thing is I was looking at this issue, which I absolutely love. My Two Dads is the name of one of my favorite Scrubs episodes. It's oh. season one, episode five, and it's— Really great one. There's the Star Wars fantasy, which was like a very classic Scrubs joke.
1: Have you ever watched Scrubs? No, you know I haven't also. Oh, my God. I've watched as much Scrubs as I've watched my two dads.
0: <laughs> Please go watch. Scrubs is terrific. There's, <laughs> There's a- Marvel references. Oh, There's awesome. a lot of fun in it. It is a hoot. Sorry. I got no, us off track.
1: Of course. Of course. No. I loved this issue because uh, – and I love what's happening right now in the larger series because I feel like Matrix, who was introduced in the last arc – He's added a really, really fun third element to this dynamic where he kind of pits Spidey and Deadpool against each other in new and unique ways, and it really freshens up that dynamic. A dynamic which will never, ever be stale, but it's just a really, really interesting other uh, other piece to this. I love the first page. It's a splash of a bunch of different classic Spidey villains uh, with uh, going up against Spidey and Deadpool, and Matrix is fighting Mysterio, and he says... I've got your backs, fathers. Spidey says, we are not your dads. And... Deadpool says, don't listen to Spider Daddy kiddo. It is the so best. It, it, it establishes the dynamic right away and it is so much fun. Like I said, it's not just those kind of things that that make it really interesting, having Matrix in this story now. It also raises the stakes in a really interesting way because, for better or worse, they have some really interesting and deep ties to this character, um, both Wade Wilson and Peter Parker and they have something to fight for beyond the usual stakes. They have something super personal, connected. Connected to them and connected to their pasts in really cool ways. I loved this new arc. And, yeah, I feel like Matrix is, it's like, it's a, it's a gift I never knew I wanted.
0: Yeah. It's interesting because, you know, Spidey wants him to be good. Yeah. Deadpool kind of wants him to be good-ish. Yeah, yeah. You know, he's like, yeah, it's really just such a sweet story. Deadpool has proven to not be a good parent. You read <laughs> Jerry Duggan's Deadpool run. You know yep. that. But he has this little talk with matrix about matrix thinking of who he wants to be not who he doesn't want to become and it's a really interesting thing and Mm it becomes one of my it's one of my favorite moments of the book of the week just the way deadpool like is able to connect right there it's very sweet and People don't give Deadpool enough credit when he's written, like Jerry writes him or like Robbie's writing him. Uh, I gotta say, welcome to Marvel artist Jim Toe. He did Youngblood for Rob Liefeld uh, with Sleepwalker co writer Chad Bowers. And so, this arc on the book will be his first for Marvel, I'm pretty sure. There's also like a bit of Mark Bagley and Mike Hawthorne in, in his style. You know, when you think about Matrix and you say like he's the. Thing that you didn't know you wanted, mm-hmm. and he's like this gift now. He draws this sad matrix. It's so cool. There's also this great fight with the Wrecking Crew, and he draws Deadpool just kicking Pile Driver in the crotch. <laughs> and I am all about cheap shots. <laughs> Plus, we're gonna get dinosaurs in the book. So. Oh yeah, it's terrific. All right, next book is Star Wars: Darth Vader, number 19. I had to grab a copy of this issue from editor Ton Groneman, and I. Man, I had not seen it before grabbing it, and I saw the cover by Giuseppe Camacoli and Elia Bonetti, and it is maybe my favorite cover. It, you know what? It is my favorite cover of the week. I showed it to you, Tucker, on my mm-hmm. way back from picking it up, and you were like, oh, "I know." <laughs> you were so like, like yes, I've seen it. It's the greatest. It is ever. so
1: good. It's a it's a reference to the original poster. But in place of Luke and Vader, it has Vader and the Emperor. It's so good.
0: Yes. Uh, This issue is written by Charles Soule, art by Giuseppe Camancoli, finishes by Danielle Orlandini, colors by David Curiel, colors by Giuseppe and Alia Bonetti, letters by Joe Caramagna. This issue is actually pretty straightforward. It's Vader and the inquisitorious off-hunting Jedi who did not get killed in the Purge. They find one, though, and it's one who's just met his newborn child. And it's a former Jedi who's a priest, a former Jedi who begs for his life and the life of his family, a former Jedi who offers to provide info on other Jedi in order to save his family. It is a dark story, especially all the stuff with the baby. I was like, whoa, here we going there. <laughs> uh, we get one of Tucker's favorite Settings in here. Vader's mindscape. Yes, wonderful place to visit. Terrible place to to live.
1: This is the this is the. I just want to mention this is the start of the Fortress Vader arc, which is something I've been really excited for a long time about. Since Charles uh, revealed that this is what was going to be coming up. Essentially, we're going to be finding out how Vader got the 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 fortress that we first witnessed in Rogue One, where he built it on Mustafar and just channeled all the dark bad energy there and just it's just him stewing on his sad past he's a, he's the ultimate sad sack just come on dude
0: throwing rage and keggers <laughs> yeah. and the emperor is just like why are you kids get off of my mustafar
1: yeah get out of my fortress this is my sad fortress anyway next book up is my second pick
0: of the week which is unbeatable squirrel girl number 35 and oh oof. i said this on twitter and this i think is my favorite issue Of Unbeatable Squirrel Girl, full stop. Wow. Yeah, which is one of my favorite books, so that was a a lot. It was written by Ryan North, art by Derek Charm, colors by Rico Renzi, letters by Travis Lanham, of course, covers by Erica Henderson. Man, Derek has been doing such a great job on art, filling in those humongous shoes that Erica left. His line work, I think, is really cool. It's kind of thick, and there's details where they're needed, but finds a really great balance to provide clean, poppy, Vibrant and like animated art, which is it's an interesting balance that he tries to and nails hitting. There's also this neat thing you notice about his characters that at least I noticed. Craven, he is full of angles, sharp edges on his knuckles, his jaw, his eyebrows, and eyelashes. Spider Man, Squirrel Girl are mostly rounded edges and mm-hmm. shapes. If you look at them through the book, and I thought that was an interesting thing. You know, Craven, he's just harder. The heroes, the traditional heroes they are a little bit softer a wonderful little touch it's subtle but i love it the crux of this is about craven and squirrel girl and heroism and one's past and change and it is just super sweet squirrel girl stands up for her friend craven because she knows he's got good inside of him he's he's not all bad even though she does not at all understand the dark past that he has the mm. darkness so it's it's really interesting you have this person who will do anything for you even though they don't fully understand who you are because their love is so strong their faith in you is so strong like it just makes you love squirrel girl so much more it's so pure Mm -hmm. the speech she gives to sway him into joining her and just fully embracing the good side she mixes her computer science knowledge with her big heart her desire for heroing I posted that on my Twitter last week because it was just one of my favorite comic speeches. It's just tremendous. Mm. Plus, you got Brain Drain with his terrific moments in here. He utilizes some of his powers. He talks about the books he's reading and like ways to cope and deal with you know the existential sadness of life. He needs to visit
1: Fortress Vader. Yeah,
0: they would have a great party. <laughs> yeah. uh, has one of my favorite final pages. Derek Charm and, and and Rico just crushing the art, this wonderful hero, very hero splash page. It is truly an unbeatable comic.
1: The last book this week comes in the form of X-Men Blue, number 33. It's written by Colin Bunn with art by Marcus Toe, colors by Matt Mila, and letters by Joe Caramagna. This is Surviving the Experience, part one. I really enjoyed this issue Because it's quite simple. We see Magneto alone in a dark future, talking to himself, figuring himself out, figuring out the world around him, uh, kind of trying to negotiate the place that he has landed. And that's pretty much all I want in a comic because i love magneto so much i love that he's mean and bad a lot of the time and uh you know he just always adds up to be you know such a complex multi-layered character
0: he's one of those characters like our villains are so much better than everyone else's hands Uh, down seriously like our villains are not always like you look at a doom and we've had a year and a half two years of him trying to be a hero right Mm -hmm. and you go back and you can see his path and why he went down the path that he went and how it feels so natural you look at a magneto who has been the head of the school who has like led children into battle who has tried to murder children mm-hmm. who has defended mutants who has like done all kinds of stuff on every part of the scale every part of it feels right because he is all the things yeah. he's not black or white he is so many shades
1: yeah i mean his his origins and who he is at any given point i mean i really make the case that he is one of the best uh villainous characters ever period in any medium uh what's really cool about this story is he kind of comes across both who and what makes this future the way it is and it is surprising and really fascinating because uh you know it's the result of some things that we're not sure how he's going to handle, how he's going to respond to. It kind of confounds him in a really interesting way, and thus us. It makes some big choices that I really loved and uh, you know, brings in the Blue Squad right at the right time. I love the, the cover of this issue, which is by RB Silva and Rain Barreto. There's RB for you. Again, it comes with a little caption that says, Yesterday's X-Men tomorrow. What? Nice. <laughs> That's uh, classic X-Men. That is classic. X-Men. Uh,
0: classic X-Menerisms. <laughs> Speaking of classic X-Menerisms. So, the title of this issue is Surviving the Experience, mm-hmm. which is a reference to the classic line, "Welcome to the X-Men. Hope you survive the experience." Right. I'm the the person who's been at Marvel the longest. You all been here for a short period of time. Did anyone ever like when you join, send you a note like "Welcome to Marvel. Hope you ex- survive the experience." <laughs> How come people don't do that anymore? <laughs> that always happened back in the day. <laughs> really?
1: Gosh! I want you to just walk around the office, like meeting new people who are yeah. just not in our department, who have no never met you, and you're just like "Welcome to Marvel. Hope you survive the experience." And then just do like the the like walk downstairs behind a couch move away from <laughs>
0: uh, If you can bring the couch, I will do yes. it. Yes. Terrific. Uh, this is also just a great way for Colin to write Magneto. I've said it before. He wrote a Magneto solo series. Mm-hmm. If you like his Magneto in here, go back and read that on Marvel Unlimited or go pick up the trades because it is
1: dope. All right. Collections on sale this week include Champions Volume 3, Champion for a Day, Deadpool by Daniel Way Omnibus Volume 2 in hardcover, Heroes Reborn Fantastic Four Marvel 2-in-1 Epic Collection, Cry Monster Spider-Man Craven's Last Hunt Deluxe Edition in hardcover, Star Wars Volume 8 Mutiny at Mon Cala Wolfpack, the complete collection, in X-Men Gold. Yo, I had never six. heard of...
0: Sorry, I did not mean to interrupt you, but I got that copy of Wolfpack yeah. in my bundle, and I was like, what is this? I have literally <laughs> never seen this comic book before. It blew my mind. What is it? I put it down, and I didn't get a chance to really dig into it. Wow. I have to look at it. I love that we're collecting stuff that is like just a blank spot in my mind right,
1: right. <laughs> so cool uh and last one is x-men gold volume 6 till death do us part
0: yeah we've got also some stuff on the marvel app this week uh digital collections there's a bunch of stuff i wanted to make sure to point out girl comics because it is a terrific anthology that came out seven eight years ago all women creative team it is tremendous it is really fun love all the creators in there and, and the editorial team who put that together it's Not to be missed. There's also uh, just some other stuff in there, like a Rocket Raccoon collection that is really good. On the Marvel app, if you don't pick up the collection, you can pick up the issues of Wolfpack. You can tell me what you think of this (laughs) book that I didn't know enough about. Maybe you do. Uh, On Marvel Unlimited, tons and tons of books this week. There's classic Master of Kung Fu issues. There's like... 15, 20 of them in there. There's Phoenix Resurrection the Return of Jean Grey, number five. There's Star Wars in here. There's just a bunch of really great stuff hitting Marvel Unlimited, adding like 40 issues a week, which is bonkers. Yeah, the best. That's it for this episode. We're going to be back. Uh, Remember, if you are listening to this episode on the This Week in Marvel feed, make sure you're subscribed to the new feed for Marvel's pull list because sooner or later you're going to be like hey where did all my episodes go I don't know where the new ones are they're in Marvel's Apollo's feed subscribe you please subscribe like comment below yeah all of that Tucker Tucker's doing it (laughs) yes oh and check out This Week in Marvel uh, this next episode coming up where we talk to Tom Brevoort Alana Smith about new Fantastic Four series as well as some classic look back at the uh, the old Fantastic Four that we love nice yeah I'm Ryan and I'm Tucker this is Marvel
1: your universe